You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Can you see me smiling through your speakers? I I hope so. I'm actually so excited that my friend Jane Bryant Quinn is here today. She's here with me in the studio on 9th Avenue where we produce this podcast. And let me just take a big step back for a second and tell all of you what Jane Bryant Quinn, who I know many of you know because she was a columnist for many years for Newsweek magazine, so you saw her face smiling from the pages, or because she came into your family room reporting for CBS News, and she's out with a great new book, which we will talk about at length in a moment. But to me, Jane represents so many different things. She showed me that there was a space in the world for women to talk in a smart, intelligent, but understandable way uh, about money. And and I should also tell you and that Jane is represents one of my biggest regrets because many, many years ago, I was an editorial assistant at Working Woman magazine and Jane was hiring. And she, through a friend, reached out and asked if I was interested in becoming one of her researchers, which of course I was, but it didn't pay all that much at the time, and I couldn't afford to take the job, and so I I didn't take it. I passed it along to a friend who was with her for many, many years, but, you know, Jane, I think you know that you have been, for me, the utmost in, in personal finance journalism, and I'm thrilled to have you on Her Money. Thank you so much for being here. That is so nice of you to say, Jean. And in fact, I remember when you came in to see me. <laughs> I remember in the office, and I remember you were sitting there, and I was really sorry that I couldn't afford you. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, I mean, I was... I was so fresh out of college. My parents were helping me pay for my rent in Brooklyn because working woman, by the way, did not pay very well either. But it just, you know, it was it was one of it was one of those things. But it's on my on my list of things that I wish that I had done at another portion in my life. But I'm glad now that we're friends. And I must say, you've had a marvelous career and are continuing to have a marvelous career. So I'm I'm very happy that you were encouraged and went into this. A lot of people just don't pay enough attention to how women are thinking about their money and what they're doing. And the fact that you are you know, bringing this dimension now, I think, is wonderful. So you've, you've had a wonderful career, and I admire you for it. Oh, well, that, that, means, that means a lot. I, I want to know from, from your perspective, and, and let me just tell everybody, Jane has a new book out. It's called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. And it hits on pretty much the biggest fear that people have today. I've seen so many pieces of research, and I'm I'm sure that you have too, that when you ask people, particularly women, what's your biggest financial fear? 
that's it. The money's going to run out before I run out. There was even one famous study that said more people fear running out of money than fear death, which is astonishing. And it's because of our longevity. And because you don't really think about it when you're younger. You may, I hope you're saving money, you're working, you're thinking about your student loans, you're thinking about your next job or your kids or whatever. But then when you start thinking oh my God, someday I'm actually going to retire. Then, you and you look at the longevity statistics, women are concerned about their longevity. And when you reach 65 now, the odds are that your longevity is at least 85. And in the past three decades, the population of 90-year-olds has doubled. And in the next two decades, it is going to triple. And that is most apt to be women. So when you are saying, this is how much money I have at you know 55 or 60 or 65, when your paycheck stops, you are going to live another 20 or 30 plus years. And that's what brings you up short. How am I going to stretch my money over that period? And you know, even 90 may be too young. I don't know if you know this, Jean. I don't know if I told you the last time we talked, but you know, in April, we are celebrating my mother's 101st birthday. Oh, my gosh. She is sharp and happy. And three years ago, she married a lovely young man of 87. <laughs> so, you, <laughs> so, ladies, you never know what's going to happen to you when you're 90 plus. That is unbelievable. Do you like him? He's a lovely man. Oh, no, we're all crazy about him. I, I'm the oldest of five children, and we all think that this man somehow descended from heaven to take care of our mother. He's just wonderful. It's, it's, it's amazing. My mother remarried after my father passed away, and the fact that she has somebody there with her. all I mean, I, I we are all happy to take care of our parents if we need to. And my mom, by the way, doesn't need taken care of, and it doesn't sound like yours does either. <laughs> but just you want them to be vital and have company. And, That's right. And she is a happy woman. Well, if, you know, married to a guy 15 <laughs> years her junior, I, I think I would be a happy woman too. Don't tell my husband. When... I read the book for the first time, and I've read it twice now. I thought this is really helpful because it's tactical, because it it, it really gives you to-dos for taking whatever sum of money you have and making it last as long as, as you last. And I want to get practical with this information. So when you are looking at strategies for making your money last. Let's talk first just about investing because the markets have been going like a roller coaster. And yet we keep hearing you have to continue to be in the markets in your retirement if you want to be able to capture enough growth. So how do you do that? First, remembering what we talked about before, that at 65, you're going to live for another 20 or 30 years, you are still a long-term investor. You knew when you had your 401k and you were putting your money into mutual funds and at work, you knew you were a long-term investor then. Everybody said, just leave it alone and it's going to grow over time. Well, at 65, 
you're still a long-term investor. Over 20 or 30 years, the U.S. economy will grow. The global economy will grow. Profits will grow. Stocks will grow. So in terms of how you are investing the retirement money you have at that point, you could certainly put well, 40, 50% of it, I mean, depending on how you feel, into stock market mutual funds. I never advise trying to pick stocks. I don't do it myself. I, I don't do it myself either. I'm <laughs> terrible at it. And and nobody, actually nobody is good at it. They just <laughs> think they are. They, they remember all the stocks they had that went up. They forget the ones that went down, and they never average the two of them together. So they have no idea how well they've done compared with the market as a whole. So I'm a mutual fund investor. I don't buy stocks. I buy index mutual funds that just follow the market as a whole. And if you do that, with part of your retirement money, what you are doing then is building up equity and value for the future, for 10 years from now, for 15 years from now, for 20 years from now when you're going to need the money. So you have part of it in bond funds, and that's like for your first five or 10 years, and then you have the rest of it in stock mutual funds, and you can do that very simply. This is not hard. It, people think it's hard. People have this impression that you have to be an expert in order to pick these funds. I mean, you're basically saying pick a diversified stock fund, pick a diversified bond fund, and you're good to go. And that's all you need. You know, actually, you could do this very successfully with just those two funds. Everything else is decoration. And sometimes, you know, people want to add a little more of this or a little more of that. But I, they get very intimidated because there are all of these fancy products that you read about or hear about Wall Street. And you just say, I don't understand that. And I, I, I'll never understand that. And so, and I understand, I don't understand them. I mean, to write about them, you've had the same experience. Yeah. We all write about these things, but we take days of digging into them and reading the prospectus. And then at the end, we say, actually, that's no good. And we don't do it. Nobody so, has that no, time. Nobody has that time or understanding or should they? Because in fact, if you stay with the simple things and you simplify your life and you have just two or three mutual funds, what you then have, Jean, is you have your life. You don't have to think about how the market's going up and down or should I buy or sell this stock. That's a waste of your time when you're retired. You want your grandchildren. <laughs> you want to do things that you always wanted to do with your life. You want to volunteer. You want to, I don't know, get another job. You want to do something. But you just need, you want to be very simple with your money so that you can set it up as your base and then you can get on with all the rest of the things you want to do in your life. That's what your money is for. It's for your base so that it frees you. One of the strategies that a lot of people are talking about lately is taking a chunk of the money that you saved and invested during your working career and turning it into a simple annuity for the purpose of covering your fixed costs, either right as you retire or somewhere down the road when it sort of takes the form of a longevity insurance policy. Do you like that? I do. I think that these are very valuable products. Um, an, immediate start, an immediate pay annuity, for example. The, the way it works is you take some money, you give it to an insurance company, and the insurance company will say, thank you very much. I will pay you X dollars for life or you and a beneficiary if you're married and your spouse needs covering too. And that's it. That gives you an additional income on top of the Social Security that you already have and is guaranteed for life. But but then uh, people 
don't like that because they're afraid of locking up their money. They say, well, I give it to the insurance company. This isn't going to work. But if you think about it, when you reach, let, let's say you're in your early 70s or your late 60s, and you think that you've worked out a plan for your money to last for life. But then you say, you know, I'm going to fall short, and I'm afraid I'm going to fall short. And so you take part of the money that you had in a bond mutual fund, say, and you buy an immediate pay annuity. And all of a sudden, your income goes up because that annuity is going to pay you more for that money than you could prudently withdraw from your bond fund. And it's a very sensible thing to do if you're worried that your money is going to run short. And that's sort of the right age for it. And we're talking about simple immediate pay annuities. We're not talking about annuities that have a lot of bells and whistles and complications. Uh, No, those are called um, deferred annuities with living benefit guarantees. You will pay 5 to 7% commission to buy them. You will pay 3.5% a year to own them. And they they are giving you a guarantee of lifetime of 5% usually right now. And you think maybe you'll get more if you're lucky and and the value of the annuity goes up. First, you will not get lucky because you won't get more. And second, you are not earning 5% on your money, which is the way it's presented. That would be fine. But all the insurance— That would be good. Yeah. But what (laughs) the insurance company is doing is just promising to give you your own money back in 5% increments over the next, you know, however many years the money lasts. People really don't understand that. So these deferred annuities, variable annuities, living benefits, blah, 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 a prospectus an inch thick, all that stuff. It is much too expensive. It is not worth your money. Uh, and you will not get out of it what you think you'll get out of it. Whereas this nice, clean, friendly, immediate annuity sitting right there, you can find, you can go on uh, immediateannuities.com. And get a quote. And and you put in how much money you want and how old you are, and you get a quote. It's right there. It's transparent. It's clean. It's low cost. So I like these those annuities very much. And I think, I, mean, I don't think you should be buying them at 55. But it's really after you've retired and you're there a few years and you say, I need a higher income. I don't know if my money's going to last. That's the time to say, okay, I remember on Jean's podcast, we were talking about immediateannuities.com. I'm going to look that up. That's great. And Jane, when we come back, I want to talk about right-sizing your life, which is important for women at every stage of their financial lives. But first, I want to tell you that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women just like us take charge of our financial lives. It's important to learn about money, not just for you, but for the other women in your life, your moms and sisters, your daughters, your friends. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time, where you'll find our Thrive Workshop, which gives you three simple ways to put your money into action. There's also information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and step-by-step guidance about putting a financial plan together. Again, visit fidelity.com slash it's time. 
And Jane, we want to thank our friends at Reveal for supporting our show. On the Reveal podcast, each episode takes us into a hidden world or exposes a problem that most people know nothing about. Their reporters spend weeks, sometimes months or years, getting to the bottom of a story. Along the way, they come across the most intriguing characters. Sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're bad. But by the end, they've revealed what's going on and who's to blame. Check it out. You can find Reveal on your local public radio station or on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. So Jane Bryant Quinn is my guest. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. One of the chapters is on right-sizing your life, which I think is an interesting concept in retirement, but also for people who aren't there yet but who know that they're not saving enough money right now. How do you how do you know if you're actually going to get where you need to go in order to have enough money to stop working or or slow down if you don't want to stop someday? Well, people while they're working if they are saving and of course I certainly hope that you are saving money, um they don't usually tend to have a target for I want X amount of money when I retire. A few people do, but basically all you're saying is I want more. I'm hoping I can save more. I'll put a little more into my 401k. Um, I hope the stocks will go up over time the the way Jane said, and yes, they will. (laughs) And so it's kind of an the approach is more, more, more. But then it's when you reach that age where you start thinking about the fact that your paycheck is going to stop someday. It hasn't stopped yet, but you're all of a sudden it dawns on you that one day that money is not going to be coming in. Then people start saying, well, how much money am I going to need for the rest of my life? And that's backwards because what you need to say is how much income am I going to have from the money I've saved? And once you've figured that out, then you have to adjust your expenses to that income that you expect. This is what I call right-sizing your life. And when you are still working and you're younger, it just comes under the general heading of budgeting. Mm -hmm. I should be saving some money. I should be living on less than I earn. And the best way to do that is to have some kind of an automatic savings plan so the money comes out of your paycheck and you never see it. And that and then you can live paycheck to paycheck, but you're, meanwhile, you're saving money all the time. Do you have a ballpark? Do you have a goal in terms of what's the right percentage that people should aim to save of their income? I, I think that in general, if you're starting in your sort of 20s and what, you know, 5% is fine because you're probably not being paid very much and it's a way to start. But then you should immediately go to 7 and you should go to 10 and you should work by the 30s. You should be working on having the highest percentage, certainly, that your 401k will allow. And if you do it bit by bit or your 403b, you know, whatever kind sure, of thing. Sure, your workplace retirement plan. Your workplace retirement plan. And if you do it bit by bit, every year, you really won't notice it. Now, people who are living paycheck to paycheck and are not saving anymore think, I can't possibly save another dime. But the truth is, if you said, okay, take another 2% of my paycheck and put it in the retirement plan, you know what would happen? Nothing would happen. You know, I know this. And the reason that I know this is because do you remember when we got that tax break for for just a couple yes, of years? I do remember. 
and it was an it was equal to two percent of your salary, and then they took it away, and there was actual research done, and nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. That's right. Nobody noticed because these with these automatic savings plans, you, they're picking up money that is slipping through your fingers that you don't even realize is slipping through your fingers. So if you can get it out of your paycheck, then you can live paycheck to paycheck just fine because you're saving money on the side that you're not even noticing. And to me, the very best way of budgeting Actually, because I'm all for simple things, of course, you don't have to sit down and say how much for this and how much for this and how much for this and, oh, I think I have to cut here or cut there. If you will just increase your savings and then whatever is left, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And you could – it's the simplest possible way of budgeting is just to put more money in your savings account and figure out how to live on what's left. I and think you can do that. I think that's awesome. While I have you here, I want to hear about you, Jane. And I want to know what it was like to be a female pioneer. I mean, you really you, – you broke this space wide open. You were – you were the first woman who was really out there talking about money to a massive audience. What, what, what did that feel like? And do you think it helped you that you were a woman? Uh, first, um, in the bad old days, uh, I had a new. I was. A, I came up in the newsletter business, and I came up in the newsletter business because in the bad old days, they didn't hire women for the kinds of jobs that I wanted to do. They wouldn't hire women as writers. And so, but if you worked on the fringe of journalism, like a newsletter, you could get a job there. You couldn't get a job on a magazine or a newspaper as a writer. You know what my first job was, by the way? No. I ran mail at Newsweek. I got out of college with my Phi Beta Kappa key, and Newsweek hired me to run the mail. They hired promising young men, of course, as writers in training. But anyway, that's I, but anyway, I came up in the newsletter business because they would hire women there. But first, there were no bylines. And then I was doing a newsletter. I started one for McGraw-Hill. And I had to be known as J.B. Quinn because they didn't want people to know. They thought that it would be less valuable if people knew that a woman was writing it. And you want to know what? They were right. All of the research showed that if you put some, if you had a, a, a story about finance and you, you gave people one with a byline of a female and one with a byline of the male, the exact same story, it was more credible under the male byline. Conversely, if you did the same thing with nursing, it was more credible under the female byline. So, you know, you were you were up against that. But um, but then, you know, I started getting more work and I started getting about. And uh, my column, when it first came out, I had my name on it. I had no initials on it. And there was, I remember there was a, a business editor in Boston who said he would never have a woman's column on his page. And he retired. You know, they die off, Jean. Yeah. <laughs> It's one thing like we all can men, do. right? So I don't think that being a woman was advantageous to me in the first ten plus years that I was working. In fact, I I left the job where I started the newsletter because they were unwilling to give me the same uh, title and money as the man who preceded me in, in terms of publishing. I took over as publisher, and and then they kind of downgraded me. So. Uh, 
I went off on my own because in those days you really had to do broken field running. You know, you you do as well as you could in one place and then you'd hit the wall. Oh, you're a girl. And so then you'd go to another place. Um, afterward, I don't think that being a woman was either a plus or a minus. I, I just never had the sense that being female made a difference to me then. It, it was a disadvantage at the start, but, you know, you get through it. And, and it's so interesting. I didn't realize that you published that newsletter as well as, as writing it. But oh, I you... spent the, my first 10 years in newsletter business, and then we had a terrible publisher who had no idea, I thought, not really how to do it well in terms of we did direct mail, did things back then. And I took it over, and I thought it was fabulous. I really learned a tremendous amount. And the Washington Post had called and asked me if I would start a column because they did not have um, a personal finance column. And then there was somebody who, you know, it's always through connections, right? Somebody knew my work. And I told them no, because I was really excited. I was taking over as publisher. I was starting new newsletters. I was the first woman, and it was McGraw-Hill. I was the first woman in the room having to do a budget and present it to her. I was learning so much stuff. I was very excited by it. And then uh, three, four months later, when they came and told me I was not going to get the title of publisher, and they gave me only a modest raise, I felt they were telling me I had no future there. I called the Washington Post back, and I said, do you still want me to come and write a column? And they said yes, and I did. Good for you. So actually, I guess in that sense, being a woman worked in my favor. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting to me, you've come full circle, because I don't know if people know about the, the publishing enterprise you've got going now. I am now an internet entrepreneur because we have to move. You, you, you have to go to podcasts. <laughs> I'm going online. Uh, with my husband, we have a uh, company called dailyvoice.com, and we are publishing local news online because so many local newspapers are going out of business, and the regional newspapers aren't covering local news. And so we have 76 sites now. We are expanding. And it's very exciting. It's a very different kind of journalism, I'll tell you, Jean. I, again, this is a time when I'm just sort of excited about these new possibilities of uh, online journalism. Yeah, and why we're so excited to to be doing this show. And and by the way, the, the local sites are terrific. I mean, you know, I live in this town, this Mayberry of 7,000 people in Westchester County, New York, and um, that's where we get our local news from you. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being a reader. Absolutely. I guess I say a user, right? A user? <laughs> well, are we a user? And what are we when we listen to a podcast? Then we're a subscriber. Uh, we're subscribers. That's right. And we are producing content. <laughs> we are producing content. We are content makers. That's, that's right. right. We, are, we are reinventing ourselves as we go along. That's that's true. You, every stage of life, you are reinventing yourself. So now I'm, it's the internet entrepreneur. It's very scary, I, I, there I must say, on the internet, because learning the how to produce and sell it, uh, because it all has to be, it's all sold by kind of you know, 
trick things that our amazing people who sit in code <laughs> do. I don't understand it, but they get it out there. That's that's amazing. Well, thank you for coming in and being with me in the studio. Congratulations on the book. Where where can we find you? Uh, well, Amazon, bookstores, Barnes & Noble. My website is janebryantquinn.com. And this week it was the number one retirement sales uh, book in terms of sales. So I'm very excited about that. How to Make Your Money Last. Jane Brian Quinn, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Jean. It was really fun. Thanks, Jane. It's always so much fun to spend time with you. We're going to roll right into your questions. As you know, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jean Chatsky. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Jean Chatsky. And at jeanchatsky.com. As always, Kelly Hultgren is in the studio with me. Kelly, what kind of questions do we have this week? Hello. Yvette emailed us at jeanchatsky.com asking, I am going to be 65 this year, and I'm trying to figure out where I should invest my funds. I spoke with my bank for some assistance, and they mentioned annuities. Is this something I should consider? Well, we just spent some time talking with Jane Bryant Quinn about that. And by the way, happy big birthday to Yvette. I think it is something that you probably should put on your list. At the very least, you want to explore it. When you transfer a sum of money into an annuity, you're essentially buying yourself a paycheck. And I really like the idea of doing that at retirement to at least cover your fixed costs. If you've got a large sum of money, you probably don't want to annuitize it all at once because as interest rates go up, your return on that annuity is going to get better. But it's a strategy I'm in favor of. I like immediate fixed annuities. Excellent. And then from Twitter, at Katmer23 asks, if you're transferring existing balances to 0% interest cards, creating zero balances on high interest ones, do you close the latter? Ah, she's talking about not kiboshing her credit <laughs> score when she does this. And I, and I get it. People want to make sure that they protect that credit score. And when you close credit cards, particularly credit cards that have a large line of credit on it, your credit score can take a hit. So if you're thinking that you're going to get a mortgage or a car loan in the next 6 to 12 months, I would just let those cards be. But if your credit score is good already, and you know that, which you should, by the way, because you can check it all over the internet for free, then you want to make sure that if you go through the process of closing credit cards, you just do it slowly over time. So close a card, wait six months, close a card, wait six months. And since she already opened another card, she doesn't have to worry so much about losing big credit lines. Great. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for your terrific questions. Remember, we want to answer whatever is on your mind. So reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, and at jeanchatsky.com. It's time for our Thrive segment, where we touch on some news or some research in the world of money, and we turn it into helpful advice for you. And today we're talking about well, we're talking about talking about money, which is something that not enough women do. According to the 2015 Fidelity Investments Money Fit study, 8 in 10 women say they've held back discussing their money with the people they're closest to. Why? We don't have enough confidence. So here are a few suggestions for getting into that money conversation, whether you're talking to a friend, a partner, a spouse, or even a pro like a financial advisor. First, 
make some notes. When my dad was very sick, my mom used to make notes of the questions that she wanted to ask the doctor. Why? Because when you get into that room and in front of that person that you want to talk to, it's sometimes hard to remember what you wanted to say. And that's especially true when you're talking about money. Second, schedule time. Believe it or not, my husband and I do this. I I know I talk about money for a living, but I confess I don't always like to sit down and talk about my money, particularly when I know that he wants something that's different than what I want. It happens. And so we schedule time. We decide we're going to talk about money after dinner or in the car on the way to the city, and then we do it, and then it's over until the next time. Finally, don't sweat what you don't know. Ask. When I was a young reporter, I I used to sit for hours with sources and say, I'm sorry, I don't get it. I don't get it, and I need you to take a step back and explain it to me. And then I'd repeat it back, and sometimes I'd get it right, and sometimes I'd get it wrong. But eventually, I would get it right. And as a result, I'm a person who learned. And I'm convinced that if I can learn about this, then you can learn about this too. But you have to be willing to step up and ask the questions. So first, make some notes. Second, schedule time. Put it down in your calendar. And don't sweat what you don't know. Just ask the question. Thanks so much to all of you for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Jane Bryant Quinn, my friend, for a wonderful conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. Leave us a review. Reviews are very important. And take a minute. Put us on your Facebook page. Share us with your friends. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when I'll be talking with Dr. Ben Sorensen. Now, you may not have heard of Ben. I hadn't heard of him before I met him at a conference where he just blew the room apart with his translation of the language women should be using in the workplace to enable us to be more assertive without being bitchy. It was amazing, and I couldn't wait to share it with all of you. We'll also take your questions. Kelly will be here for that, and we'll have a great way for you to thrive. Tune in then.